Hello, I'm Matthew Packwood and welcome to Masters of Motion. Each episode, I'll be chatting to some of Australia's and New Zealand's leading motion design, animation and visual effects artists. Today I'll be talking to Mike Tassetto. Mike is an amazingly talented 2D and 3D artist who specialises in motion design for branding. Mike worked at Interbrand, then freelanced, and now he's started his own studio, Never Sit Still, where he's truly living up to the name and delivering some awesome animations. Welcome, Mike. Thanks very much for coming in today and sharing your experiences with us. We really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. What advice do you have for university students who are preparing themselves to get a job? And what would you like to see in their showreels? I think for students, the most important thing is to focus on motion and movement. I think with design, and this isn't taking any, anything away from graphic design, but I think you can basically reference really nice layouts and you can mimic something similar. But with motion, making things move really nicely takes time and that can take years to learn. What I really love to see with students' work is when things move really nicely. And the other thing I like to see with students' reels is lots of work. So lots of little side projects and just variety. I think what happens with students coming out of a college or university, often the problem is that they just do the work that they're given as opposed to doing lots of little side projects. And it just might be animating a logo or animating something for your friend's brand but basically just having lots of little different projects where you've considered the animation for each. That just gives a little bit more variety and it also shows hunger and passion and you know, it just shows that you're really keen. What is your approach when it comes to building and marketing your own brand? And tell us a little bit about the meaning of your brand and what it represents. It's important for me to have a point of difference and that's one thing that I've really tried to focus on over, I guess, over the time of having my own brand and then since then, branding my own studio. So I was lucky to spend time at Interbrand where I really got to be pretty much the only motion designer for a great uh, design studio. And I got to understand the ins and outs of branding. So I got to work with great strategists, great writers, great designers and great creative directors. So I got to learn about the creative strategy and design thinking. That's my niche. And I guess with my own brand, I've just tried to exploit that. With my recent rebrand, I really tried to, I wanted to have the motion website that was more like a branding website. And I've always been a big fan of Pentagram. I just really like that clean, stripped back site that just heroes the work. So that's exactly what I wanted. And then I've always really loved how brands have their own personal language, their own tone of voice. I really wanted that for our, our own brand. Language is a big part of what we were about as well. You have a good profile in the design community. What are the benefits of being involved in the design community? I've worked hard to build a profile and I've been really careful not to build a profile that's all front that I can't back up. I've basically been really focused on, first one is doing great work. I think when you do great work with heart and soul in it, you never need to advertise because that work is then out there. And whether it's on the showreel or whether it's on my own personal portfolio, my own, our own website, or whether it's just out basically in the world, people see it and people talk I guess word of mouth is our biggest friend. But the other thing is I've been really involved with the Australian Graphic Design Association ever since leaving Interbrand. I've been on the council for the last two years. I've been really involved with putting on events. I've been really involved with going to events. This has opened up my network amongst the design world. I don't think there's many sort of key people in the Sydney design scene that I haven't met or, or I don't know. Uh, so that's been really useful for 
getting my name out there. So, Mike, you're involved in AGDA. You go out and talk to students and you've got a really busy studio. How do you fit it all in? As I get busier, and these days I seem to be busier than ever, even finding time for this has been tricky, but it's really important to give back. And I always remind myself of that. And I always realise how privileged I am to be asked to come on and be part of the motion design community and do a podcast. A really great thing to be asked to come and talk to students. I really feel privileged when that happens, so I generally always say yes. For a person who's an animator and a motion graphics person, you have an excellent understanding of branding. How did you develop this knowledge and skill set? I worked at a, a, a really small sort of studio that did a lot of TV and radio. And when I left that place, I then pretty soon after uh, got the job at Interbrand. And at that point in time, I didn't really know anything about branding. I guess I thought that advertising and branding and design were all sort of much the same thing. I didn't really know the intricacies or the difference. So, but when I started Interbrand, I guess what I learned about was branding and really learning about design thinking, because I think the term branding is thrown around a lot, but essentially design thinking being using design where form follows function, where it's all about communication and that being basically the most important thing across clear visual system with really good language and really good tone of voice, good creative strategy behind it that basically serves a, pers- a, serves a purpose to communicate. That was basically the world I was opened up to at Interbrand and there were just really, really great people that I was working with at the time. I was the only motion designer. So while that was super, super intense because you've got these creative directors showing me reference that at that point in time, I didn't have the experience that I had now. And even if I did, looking at White Stripes Film Clips reference and all sorts of reference, you know, I worked around the clock, my head was spinning, but I got to touch every single project that came into the studio. I was usually involved in projects from the very beginning. So that's really different to now. Like now I'm involved in projects usually toward toward the end. Sometimes we're involved from the beginning, but turnarounds are much tighter. But, you know, working on something like Darling Harbour, I mean, we were working on that for six months and I was on it from the very start. So the motion tests that I was doing, the experiments, just like a designer does lots of experimentation to find their solution, I was basically doing early tests like that with motion. So my motion tests were informing design as much as new design that was being done was informing the motion that I do. So that was a really, really cool way to work, being involved from the conceptual stage. What was Interbrand's process like when it came to motion graphics and how important was motion graphics to their business? Interbrand were one of the early graphic design or branding studios to realise the importance of motion graphics. And I think that came down to the two creative directors at the time. One of them is Chris uh, McLean and the other one is Mike Rigby. And they were really instrumental in getting me involved as a full-time motion designer because I think they'd realised that two things had happened in the world, in the world of technology. The first one was that it had become easier than ever to put videos online with YouTube and, and Vimeo. You could just have vi- video online really, really easily. And the second one was that every single screen on every single phone, on every surface, on every laptop and every computer had basically become a dynamic canvas. So we were walking around with these full HD screens in our pockets. So I think it's mad these days for anybody not to be considering motion as part of any brand. Because I think brands are viewed or design is viewed on screen these days more than any other format, certainly more than print. How do you see motion graphics interacting with traditional graphic design? And how important do you think motion graphics will be in the future? I think motion has become super important. Motion has become a really important part of every brand because, you know, these days every surface has become, you know, a dynamic canvas. So we walk around with full HD screens in our pocket and then there's computers, there's TVs. There's digital screens that we see when we walk through, you know, subways and tunnels and that kind of thing. 
So I think every brand should be and is considering some sort of motion as part of a branding solution. And one of our biggest areas that we service at the moment is branding studios and design studios in Sydney and beyond, basically doing motion graphics for brands and bringing brands to life. With motion graphics becoming more important, do you think there's an opportunity for motion design studios to work with traditional graphic design studios? A lot of design studios are looking for motion. I mean, we're inundated with work. I mean, I'm probably turning away one job or more generally daily. About five a week jobs on average we're saying no to just because we're just too busy and there's only so much that we can take on. We're really small. People have found out about us through people are looking for motion designers and we're top of mind because of how involved I get with the industry. But now, Mike, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the Darling Harbour rebrand. Tell us a little bit about the process and what made that project so special for you. What was interesting about Darling Harbour was being asked to rebrand an entire precinct. And, you know, this was a place that had become a little bit of a tourist trap, but it does get a hell of a lot of visitors a year. It gets 25 million visitors a year. So what the idea of the rebrand was to inject a little bit more life and vibrancy back into the place that Darling Harbour once was. Isa Brand came up with the brand idea of Big Time. And basically, the idea that stemmed from there, the creative idea that linked to that strategy, that big idea of Big Time, was an inflatable identity that basically, at its most inflated, would be really big key words that, I guess, illustrated what was happening in the precinct that could come right down to basically, let's say, an annual brochure for tenants or what have you. So it was a brand that you know, had that flexibility right across the, all the platforms that it needed to talk to but it could basically be really super inflated or it could deflate down to, you know, right down to a level where it even helps people with wayfinding and that kind of thing. But our approach was to build the, all the letters in 3D. And that was, that was, for me at the time, I hadn't been using Cinema 4D for that long and created an entire alphabet that could be, that was modelled and could be handed off to, you know, designers that could be basically skinned with any from stripes to fur or any sort of material. I mean, that was a huge undertaking for me. I guess my time at Interbrand, I was always being pushed as a motion designer, and not just as a motion designer, but I got pushed to you know, learn 3D. And um, I guess I was just really pushed not just to think about things really creatively, but just to really advance my skills as well, because I didn't really have anybody else I could, I could call on. So Darling Harp was one of those projects where you know, I started kicking around these letters in 3D and then built an entire alphabet and then got to see these same letters be turned into 30-foot letters, you know, inflatable letters in the actual precinct. So that was a really, really cool project to work on. So, Mike, once you delivered the brand to the client, how did they use the brand? Did you create a big style guide? And was that an easy thing to do with giant 3D letters? We did have a big style guide. I worked with a great team of people on it, but one of the designers that was at Interbrand at at the time, a guy named Ed Hall, he came up with a really cool system where... He built all the letters as smart objects and then came up with a bunch of checkboxes just as adjustment layers so you could change colour and, you know, he came up with a really simple way that it could be handed off to the in-house team at Schiffer, which is a Sydney Harbour Foreshore Authority. Yeah, and then it was accompanied by some pretty detailed guidelines. But what was cool about Darling Harbour was that they were a really adventurous brand. Like, they really did push it. Like, what we suggested as far as, like, all the different sorts of apps we suggested as far as, you know, things like balloon maracas and all sorts of things they they actually went and got made so they actually activated the brand that we made for them as opposed to just you know using the the you know using the identity for a bit of print and you know reskinning a website so that was cool sounds really interesting but it's hard to imagine the uh, finer details is there a place online we can go and have a look 
Yeah, yeah. You should be able to um, see a really big full case study on my Behance page. You've been a freelancer for a while now. What was the reason behind moving away from freelancing and setting up your own studio and building your own company brand? So I left Instabrand and I put myself out there as a freelancer and I came up with a day rate and off I went. And I realised quite quickly I needed a certain, you know, I needed certain software and I needed certain plugins. And when I went into studios, they didn't have those. So I generally take my laptop and then I realised my laptop wasn't powerful enough. So I built myself a really nice, big, powerful PC and I wanted to start using Octane for Cinema 4D. So I got myself a couple of graphics cards and Uh, By this stage, I had a really nice suite of software that I'd purchased, you know, including Cinema 4D and a whole bunch of plugins. And I had just uh, this really great ecosystem, I guess, on my own computer. So I really wasn't going in studios much. So I realized quite quickly, if I'm, I wasn't the typical freelancer, I was more like, I was more like a studio, I was more like a supplier. And then what happened was I brought on a staff member and it felt quite weird that he was working for Mike rather than a studio. And so then I thought, well, I guess we are a bit of a studio and now there's two of us and we've got a space that we lease, you know, we pay rent on, we have computers, we have our own software. Yeah, yeah, we're a studio. The most common question I got was, what's your day rate? And I thought, if we're a studio, um, then our clients will be able to say they use the studio name rather than, oh, we use a guy named Mike to do our motion graphics and then you know, a studio as their supplier, as opposed to using a freelancer with a day rate. That was kind of how it evolved. And the reason, the main reason for it was to go from being a freelancer with a day rate to a supplier with a project fee. So you've been running as a small business for a while now, and recently you've moved offices. What made you move into a collaborative space? And what are the benefits of sharing with other like-minded people? So for the last year, we were over in Surrey Hills. We were on Reservoir Street, and it was a really great space. But we've just moved, in the last month, we've moved over to the Burrows, which is on Australia Street in Camperdown, and it's a fantastic uh, warehouse. It was a shell for quite a while, and it's basically been made into this beautiful space, and we're up on the mezzanine, and um, it's really, really cool. And uh, we've got a little bit of a collective happening there, so that's the next phase now. So uh, Never Sit Still have joined forces with Tim Clapham from Lux and also Baxter Studios, who are a small branding studio. So, you know, together, hopefully we'll be able to take on even bigger projects and do even cooler work and, yeah, we'll see what what happens next. It must be really good having someone else around to understand Cinema 4D and if you're stuck, you can ask a question and get the answer quickly. You both learn a lot off each other. But, yeah, hopefully both learning from each other. But, you know, Tim's just a wealth of knowledge, especially with 3D, not just his knowledge but also how he approaches technical hurdles and situations is yeah he's 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 quite incredible he's a really good problem solver he's a great technical director and very creative as well is there an opportunity to collaborate on bigger projects one of the things that uh, we want to keep doing is working as our own studios so we can all bring on our own projects as we do but then when we've got you know a big project that might come in that's when we can collaborate Never Sit Still is just two people and, you know, we can do way more work than I could just do on my own. But all of a sudden we've become five and we've moved in and we're doing this really big project at the moment. And I could have never approached a project of this size and scale on my own. So I think that's the power of collaboration. I'd like to talk a little bit now about your more recent projects. How did you land the Adobe Make It project? Adobe came to us because of exactly what we were talking about a little bit earlier as far as the whole idea of networking. And just before I go on and talk about that, I just want to mention the importance of, you know, networking without networking for me. I think just being involved in the industry, getting along to events, being on the Agda Council, 
basically being involved with the industry is my form of networking, you know, and I think that that just builds relationships and it just keeps you top of mind. So what happened with Adobe was I curated a bunch of creative responses for the Agda Awards last year. So what I did was I went and spoke to a few Australian studios in the realm of motion graphics and asked them if they'd like to create creative response of any level. Um, there was a high school student right through to someone like Method Studios and, and everybody in between submitted creative responses. We got about 20. And then what I did, I used those at the Agda Awards and at the Agda Forum, but I also spliced them all up into one main video and Claire Cahill from Adobe, she's the um, marketing manager for Asia Pacific. They were one of the sponsors at the Agda Awards Forum and she was there on the day and she saw the work and then she came and said, hey, look, I really like that work and that approach. I thought it was really interesting. Would you like to be involved with the titles for Adobe Make It? And I thought that would be really, really cool. And I had recently struck up a bit of a friendship with Tim Clapham because he'd come and spoken at an event for Agda. It was a VFX motion and sound design event. And we'd struck up a bit of a friendship. He lives quite close to me, which we, which I was completely unaware of. And so I thought it would be even better if I collaborated with Tim. What's really cool with Adobe as well is and they're very fair with budgets. So they're just great clients to work with. So I brought Tim on and yeah, we were able to produce that, that piece of work, which is probably one of my favorite pieces of work. Could you take us through the project from start to completion and talk a little bit about the process? Adobe were a great client to work with and this was quite, I guess, a a unique uh, project in the sense that they had actually already had the artwork made, which was really cool because that was quite a way forward than some of the projects that we usually approach where we start with nothing and we have to come up with the, the look and the feel. So Adobe already had a really nice illustration done from an illustrator in New Delhi and she'd come up with this beautiful piece of isometric illustration. So the look of it was already done. So when we looked at the isometric typography, we thought, okay, this is cool. What if we recreate it in 3D with an isometric camera? And basically for the glowy bits that she'd done in illustration, we thought it would be really cool to use global illumination. So the global illumination would illuminate the areas. Basically those would act as lights and illuminate the darker areas in the scene. And that gave us a really nice look. So once we got that done and built, we had a little bit of a spanner in the works because what happened was at first, the event was meant to be called Adobe Amplify, Amplify Your Creativity. But once we built the Amplify, they had to switch it because something happened with the name and they couldn't use it. So it got changed to Adobe Make It. So we had to reshuffle a few things and rebuild a few things. But essentially, we'd already sort of nailed the look and feel. Uh, so that global illumination look and the isometric camera. And then from there, it was just a matter of creating a storyboard from that and an animatic. So how we'd introduce the different speaker names. And obviously, there was a lot of testing and after effects with that. And then how we'd basically keep it interesting for a 90-second intro to only really reveal the make it reveal at the end. So another cool thing about that was when we got to the animatic stage, we were working really closely with Ben Romalis, who was the composer on that project. Ben is from The Effectors, and they're based in Sydney. So he did the music for it. So we were really closely with him. And by the time we got to the animatic, he'd already developed a really cool draft of music. Then we had the animatic done. We were then able to say, okay, this is going to happen here. This is going to happen there. So by the time we were editing the video, we had virtually a finished piece of music. By the time we'd done the edit, we got it back to him. He added a little bit of sound design, tightened up the music, and it was done. So working in collaboration with Composer was, was a gift. Uh, as far as rendering went, we needed to get that specific look, but we wanted to really add that global illumination feeling to it. So as far as getting the look going, we used the Cinema 4D native physical renderer. And that got that really nice global illumination look and it was really dynamic and it was dark and it was glowy and it looks fantastic. 
the frames were taking about you know 10 to 15 minutes each, which was just too long for a 90 second video. So Tim jumped into V-Ray and was able to get a look that was quite similar down to generally even most intensive frames from one to two minutes, which was which was really cool. But and that was our, how we were able to pull off um, such a, a lot of rendering because while it's only a ninety second video, there's a lot of different colorways. So there's lots of edits where we cut away to different colors. And at a closer look, there's not just random colors, but some of them are all the same color. So it's like ninety frames done three or four times. So there was a lot of rendering in there. Thankfully, V-Ray was able to handle all of that. The final product looked really great. How did it look on the big screen? Oh, it was huge. It was so good. It was it was at Carriage Works. They had the biggest screen that I've ever played a video on, accompanied by four horizontal panels on each side. So there was like a big screen in the middle, four screens offset on each side. It was just this huge screen, this huge sound system at Carriage Works sold out to 1,400 people. It was amazing. So now I'd like to move on to passion projects. Why do you think passion projects are so important? Passion projects are really important because they're projects where you get to do whatever you want to do. While client projects can be really cool, like something like Adobe, doing projects where there's generally just for kicks, you can really do exactly what you want to do. It's an open brief. You get full creative control. That's a really cool thing because you really get to put your balls on the table, so to speak, and create a really interesting piece of work exactly how you want it. And you don't have to release it until you're ready to put it out there. And it's just a really cool thing to do those pieces of work because otherwise I think you can easily fall into the trap. And I see it happen with a lot of studios. They fall into the trap of just doing corporate work and each to their own. But that's not why I became a designer. I became a designer to be excited, really excited by the motion graphics that I do. I love that I get to turn up to work every day and do motion graphics, but if it was just corporate work all day, I wouldn't be creatively satisfied at all. So with passion projects, how do you use them as marketing tools and what are the benefits? It's important to have the work on your folio that you want to attract. And I think if you've just got dry corporate work, that's the work that you're going to attract. But I've got to say, like, since having like, you know, lots of work for arts and culture, design and creative, startup charities or NGOs, that's the work that we're attracting. So I think that the work that you create and the work that you output is the work that you will attract. What do you think makes a good passion project brief? This is a really good question. Okay. Sometimes with a passion project, a completely open brief can be debilitating because there's no real restrictions in place. But I'll give you an example of a couple of good passion projects that we've done. So the first one was for TEDx Sydney last year. We got to be one of the eight studios that created a piece of motion graphics that would be used to make up the opening titles. And the brief was to start with the X and finish with the X. So the X from TED. So that was the brief and it was all about togetherness. So essentially we had the idea of togetherness and collaboration and start with the X and finish with the X. Aside from that, it was an open brief, blank canvas. That was enough for us to just basically start kicking around and bouncing ideas. And the other one was the recent NodeFest. James Cowan, who's putting on NodeFest down in Melbourne, he ran a competition. It had to be around 10 to 15 seconds long and had to feature the Node logo. So those sorts of things are pretty cool because it immediately gives you something to to bounce from. But when it's completely open, it, it can sometimes just be tricky starting somewhere and sometimes we'll create our own set of limitations, you know, just so we've got we've got boundaries. So you've got your brief now all worked out. What other things can be challenging in a personal project? With a passion project, sometimes starting can be really tricky because you just want it to be amazing and all that pressure that you put on yourself Uh, that I put on myself anyway to just make it amazing. Sometimes starting can be quite tricky and 
Um, then as far as finishing, it can be quite tricky because, you know, that, that last 10%, that last bit of polish, it's not like a client project where you get it done, there's a deadline, it meets the brief, you've, you spent roughly around the time of budget, sometimes a little bit, a little bit over, but, you know, you've got it to that point where, you know, you can let it go. But sometimes it's tricky to get to that point with a side project. So later on in your career, you seem to have specialised in 3D. What were the reasons behind that? When I left Interbrand, I was starting to really, you know, push myself with 3D, but not doing loads of it. And when I left Interbrand and started freelancing and doing my own thing, I just realised the demand for 3D work. And so I guess I saw the supply and demand there and decided to pounce on that a little bit. I think what's going to happen as well is lots of designers are going to start learning After Effects. And while it takes time to learn about the animation principles and get good at animation, I think After Effects is is and should be um, in future part of the designer's toolkit, just like I think HTML and CSS should be part of the, the designer's toolkit. Knowing a little bit of code, even something simple like tag-based you know, languages, should just be part of the designer's toolkit. But I think 3D, there's such a steep learning curve. It's so complex that it's just a hard thing to learn. So I really sort of pounce on that. I and mean, when I get opportunities like NodeFest or TEDx, it's an opportunity to push myself in an area of 3D that I want to learn. And that's exactly how my approach to TEDx and just playing with a bunch of different Xs that allowed me to explore a bunch of different modules in cinema, like hair and cloth and, and that kind of thing. So with your Node passion project, the 3D animation, did you do any storyboards? I didn't. I just jumped straight in. I had a little bit of reference of a sort of canister um, and I took a bunch of different bits of references and I started piecing them all together and I Spent a few days building something that I wasn't happy with, so I scrapped that and started again. And But yeah, I just really wanted to uh, push it around. As I was um, modelling it, I was thinking of ways that it would that it would animate, so I didn't want to draw something, a storyboard something up that then just wouldn't animate really well. So yeah, I, ju- I just dived straight in. Did you look at reference material or have a good idea of what you wanted the object to look like in the node animation? Yeah, as far as like the look of it, I knew I wanted it to look like a bit of a beaten up canister, and I'd been doing little sort of like everyday tests with Octane since purchasing it. So I really wanted to push Octane a little bit and, you know, get that sort of beaten up metal look and get that photo reel sort of Octane look into it. I wanted it to feel dark. So myself and Alex, who I work with, we thought that reds and, and blacks would be really cool. And then just uh, did a whole bunch of sort of uh, look development as well and just really pushed myself in Octane to, to get that look. But I knew I wanted it to look like a beaten up piece of metal and, and have that sort of Octane look. Thanks for sharing your processes with us. I'd like to move on to inspiration. Where do you find inspiration and what websites inspire you? Motionographer for, you know, motion designers is just a godsend. Uh, the, the stuff those guys are doing is just brilliant. You know, they really are on the cusp of great motion They've got their quicks of inspiration, their, their featured pieces, which can be anything from an interview with an artist or an in-depth piece of process. Motionographer is just a go-to for me. I also love two other sites, Wine After Coffee, which is run by the guys that run Blendfest. Uh, their Vimeo channel is just uh, a great source of really, really good motion graphics. And there's also Jordan Scott, is an awesome motion designer over in the US, and he runs Ice Cream Hater. So that's a great Tumblr site. So those are my three sort of sites for reference. But then there's obviously, you know, just going to events and immersing myself in the community. So I go to a lot of actor events and a lot of design events. And I think that's just a great way to, I guess, just be inspired creatively, hearing some other designer talk about their process. And, you know, it might be anyone from Stefan Sagmeister or Jessica Walsh right through to someone, you know, completely different, like Mr. Bingo is coming up and just people from all different, all different walks 
in the creative community. I think it's a great way to stay inspired. And then, of course, just getting out and about and just trying to not be always stuck behind the computer, which I sort of I have a tendency to do. But then I go through periods where I get myself out and about and I go check stuff out and I go, you know, party till 4 a.m. And I find in those moments I just see stuff and, you know, experience things. And that always feeds my creativity as well. And just going on holiday and being away from the computer as well. Working in motion design, you spend a lot of time in front of the computer. How do you balance that? I'm trying to be good with it. Like, we're in the thick of it now, like massive days. But, you know, I was on holiday recently. I've got my next holiday booked. I'm up to Cairns soon for, you know, I'm playing a gig up in Cairns. So I really do try and, um, you know, I don't work for myself just to sit by, behind the computer. But I do spend a lot of time behind the computer. I work very hard. But it's got to be balance. The nature of the industry is to work long hours. Do you switch off when you get home or do you think about your work 24 hours a day? Definitely a 24-hour designer. Like it's always, it's always on my mind. I'm always thinking about it. I really enjoy that. You know, I really just enjoy being excited by it all the time and always having it on my mind. I am really good in the morning. So I'm generally, when we're busy, I'm generally in the studio by 7, 7.30. And I have really good hours of power before the emails start going, the phones start ringing and, you know, my junior, Barney, comes in. Um, and then if we're really busy, I'll generally stay there till about, you know, uh, 7 or 8, sometimes later. Sometimes I'll come home, have some dinner and keep going. But other times, I, you know, when we're not too busy or, you know, on the weekends, I, I try and get away from it. Sometimes I don't. I do work a lot of weekends, but then I'll vary that up with just taking a day off and doing something fun um, or blowing off some steam and going out for a big night, and, you know, with friends. And I do like to just go out and enjoy myself as well, spend money, go to nice places, eat nice food and drink nice whiskeys. And like, it's got to be, it's, it can't just be all for the creative. It's got to be for, for me as well and enjoying myself. So... Work-life balance I strive toward, but um, I'm not always great at it, but sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm decent at it, yeah. How do you sharpen your skills and keep improving your style? If you're doing work, if you're taking on projects, like projects that push you, like you know Adobe and TEDx and Node and you know the couple that we're working on at the moment, those projects are pushing me really technically and therefore they're also pushing me really creatively as well. So it's basically just about literally never sitting still. And that's exactly where that brand name came from, the idea that stagnation equals death. Always keep pushing and always keep learning. What are you doing now and what would you like to work on in the future? I'm really all about the work at the moment. A lot of people have been saying to me, you've got to expand, you've got to grow, you've got to, you know, you've got to get this thing and, and basically grow it. And I feel like I could. I feel like we've got some really nice clients and some really nice projects and I feel like we've got a nice profile and I feel like I could attract some decent talent and I could build this but what I think is going to happen with that is I'd become more of a director uh, as far as the director of the company and I'd be less hands-on on the tools and right now I really am all about the work and I'm really excited right now about basically pushing my 3D skills pushing more into the you know I guess bringing the VFX side of things sort of higher end um, broadcast and motion work into the design world that's what I'm really excited by, you know, like bringing more 3D, more 3D to the design and brand world and really basically pushing what branding can do and what branding can be. That sounds great, Mike. I think that's a great place to finish up. Thanks very much for coming in and taking the time to speak with me today. I've really enjoyed it. It's a pleasure. No worries. Thanks for having me on and it's been great to chat. Thanks very much for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please give us a review on iTunes. 
And you can check us out at mastersofmotion.com.au where you can see all the work we talked about today and lots more outstanding motion design work. Or you can come find us on Facebook. You can find Mike Tassetto at neversitstill.tv. Our intro music was by the Australian artist John Vella. Hope you have a good week. See you later. Bye. Bye-bye.